Look out, thugs beware. Killers, watch out. Wrongdoers, don't dare. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree Burn. I am your uh, unfortunately unpaid intern, David Thompson, here joined by Brian Hughes. Hey! Tim Elliott. Hello. Kirk Greenbold. Good morning. And John Hyde. Greetings! And Tim, what are we here to talk about today? Well, we are going to cover, uh, this is John's pick, so uh, all blame is focused on him. (laughs) Uh, we are going to be covering uh, Untold Legends of the Batman, which is, uh, from my understanding, DC's first or second miniseries? Second. Second. Uh, and it, it it's a three-issue series that covers, it kind of, I guess, gives either new or goes over Batman's history. That indeed it does. I love it. And, and, and you know, it's, it's so cool because it was like right around the time that it came out, DC was putting out the the little blue ribbon digest, mm-hmm. and if you guys haven't seen those, they're about the same size as the Archie digest, and they were like hundred page books, and they they would have multiple stories throughout the history of the character, and uh, the second one that they put, the first one they put out, of course, was Superman, and the second one they put out was Batman, and it had um, all stories from Batman's origin and through the years, and of course it had the Joker's five way revenge. And and um, but it, it gave a lot of the stories, of course, that are covered right here in this one uh, miniseries. And so I was like, I got this like twofer that uh, I carried around and read and read and reread both the digest and this series over and over until the, uh, the, the, the series here until the spines were rolled. And I had to get new copies mm-hmm. uh, as I started collecting. So I really, I've, I've always had a huge affinity for this book, for the, this series, and that this is before I even re- realized it was Byrne doing it. So I, I mean, it's just a, a personal favorite of mine. One of those going back a long, long way. Yeah, the first uh, mini three issue miniseries was the World of Krypton, which explored mm. the the history of Superman's family on Krypton, and. Uh, and it was a three-issue series, and and I don't know if if this is like the first of the big twos miniseries thing, because I don't think that uh, Marvel was putting anything out like this uh, before DC did, and I think DC may have kind of sparked that miniseries or limited series um, aspect of things. Now, before anyone says, "Oh yeah, this was a miniseries," um, it probably was canceled, so that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Firestorm was not a miniseries. It was canceled in the implosion. Ah. <laughs> uh, there, there's a difference. This? 1980. This uh, this uh, edition came out on... Uh, it was released in April of 1980. I think Marvel's uh, miniseries started in the mid-80s. I want to say 84 with Hawkeye or something like that. I thought right? Contest of Champions was their first miniseries. Yeah, oh, that would make sense. Yeah, that's... that was. They backed off on that uh, because the uh, Olympics were canceled. And I wouldn't really qualify that as a miniseries. It's more, uh, what do they call it, like a maxi series? No, it you know, was like, only three issues. It was three Very small. Ch- champions? Contest of Champions. No, con- no contest, contest of, of champions. champions. It was kind of like a yeah. prelude to Secret yeah. Wars. 
Yeah. It wasn't three issues. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. John Romita Jr. I mean, it was, yeah. Now, there's a champion series, which is not related to Contest of Champions. Hmm. Um, and then, of course, there was, there was a miniseries that became a maxi series on uh, Squadrons because that was a 12 issue series. Mm-hmm. But that was much later. But yeah, I mean, they, they had like the Jack of Hearts, Hawkeye, Falcon, and so many others that came out, you know, at that time. There were two different Hercules series, which, are, as I understand, are getting a nice uh, uh, bound treatment here coming soon. So that's yeah. something that I want to pick up. <clears throat> Kitty, Kitty Pride and Wolverine. Magic oh, and yeah. Wolverine. Beauty and the Beast, which yeah. was awful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I so could... I had to look it up because I was not aware of this. Uh, uh, yeah, it's it's the, uh, was it the... the... It, it's Marvel Superhero Contest of Champions. Yes, it, yes. It's funny because, it, yeah, and that ties in amazingly to Kurt Busiek's Avengers versus JLA that came out, what, 2004? Years and years, yeah, yeah. 2004. Something like that. Yeah, the four issue prestige format series, mm-hmm. uh, because it's um, golly, who which which is that guy that's got the the high widow's peak, the blue skin, um, and Star-Hawk? then he was no no no, it's uh, you know one of the more um, oh the game so, master the game, game master. master the game master and who was the other one that was with him on that was that I the grandmaster I'm trying to remember the grandmaster grand God was it man I'm I'm just completely blanking now because I keep wanting to think. Like, it was, collector it was, it was or, Jeff Jeff Goldblum. Um, I don't think it was the collector. I thought it was the game master. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it, yeah, and they followed up that series in the Avengers versus Jailer leaks. Kurt Busiek did, and you know, I mean, Kurt Busiek's one of those guys that you know, he, as a creator, he was a comic book historian that um, uh, just uh, great at, at pulling great things out of his uh, keister. Like he was the guy that came up with the. Uh, Explanation of how Jean Grey uh, was brought back in Fantastic Four 286, you know, in prelude to the X Factor series. Mm-hmm. And that brings us back, of course, to John Byrne. <laughs> some, some, had, some hack artist, I guess, huh? Yeah, Quote, and, unquote, and, just and I guess before I we it was get Byrne's into idea. The, uh, the JLA Avengers? No, to bring back Jean Grey. No, I, I didn't oh. think he wanted to bring her back. I, I thought he was against that. He was. But Kurt Busiek had come up with this idea of how to bring her back. And the, the company wanted to bring her back because of, uh, you know, for the X-Factor series, which was supposed to reunite the original X-Men. And uh, you know, Byrne, of course, is like, you know, well, you know, we can, we can do this based on Kurt's story. I'd like to do it. He goes in and does it. And then they change. Uh, Chris Claremont comes behind him and says, no, 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 we got to change all this. And so they redrew and re wrote several panels in that issue and so when you look at the credits for that issue of fantastic four instead of saying written and drawn by john byrne it says you know who because he didn't want and so i that's one of those things i guess we can cover down the road have you guys looked at the latest in x-men else one though yeah have you been reading for uh, 15 i think it was Yeah, yeah yeah i mean there are things about his storytelling that I'm wondering about, and I'm just going to let it go down the road until he does finish the issue. Uh, but others are bringing it up as well. But it is, I mean, still, it, right now we've got guest appearances by, like, Namor. Uh, and he's got a much more classic, even what he had in the Burns series that came in later. Um, more Bill Everett-looking hmm. uh, version of Namor. And, and I remember really treat when it is come when he's putting it out he has said though that because of the way that he's having to um, 
rearrange his plot lines that there he may have to stop publishing it for a short while. Ooh. And so we'll see the um, the Burniverse uh, kind of uh, have a hiccup there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, we were talking about the untold legend of the Batman, and let's uh, let's jump in. Uh, I don't have a lot. I know we talked about the, or you guys have talked about how your well your love for this book, and I don't really have a history of this book. I've never read it uh, up until I read it. <laughs> I read it for I read it for this assignment. Uh, I wasn't aware of it. I wasn't. Uh, I don't. I can. You know, the the Batman books I own will fill maybe a quarter of a lo- of a short box. I just wasn't wasn't a Batman guy. I was more of a Superman guy if I was reading DC or Green Lantern. It's really Green Lantern was the first comic character I started reading even before I got into Marvel. But uh, I mean, I knew of of Batman's history uh, just because everybody knows Batman's history. I didn't know as much of this, and that was a, a we, we we get into it a little more. I have some questions about this, but. So this is all new and fresh to me. So I may not have as much to add to the conversation as, as the rest of you guys, because I know, um, I know, Dave, you've got a, a, a bit of history with this. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. You know, we'll have to see how your you know feelings on the story are versus uh, Brian's and uh, John's, because I do have very fond memories of this book. Uh, my grandmother actually gave me a copy of uh, Brian had mentioned the Digest. This was all over the place when I was a kid. The uh, the Untold Legend of the Batman. It's a little red digest I actually have in my hand. My original copy given to me by my grandma. And uh, it has cool. this awesome oh, old paper smell. And yeah, it's dog-eared. You know, I've written my name on the front page. I, I shared with you guys in uh, our, our group chat that, you know, I, I uh, color penciled a few of the pages. Because this is all black and white. Uh, but it was great as a kid. Uh and, and, you know, Tim, it doesn't surprise me either that you wouldn't have, uh, you know, been exposed to it a lot because as we were doing our research for our discussion today, the original series came out in 1980 and it was a three-issue miniseries. It was then bundled up into these digests that was published by Tor uh, in 1982 and then it kind of went dormant for a little bit. And in 86, until sometime in the 90s, it's hard to say for sure, uh, MPI put out, uh, uh, rebundled the, the three-issue book with, uh, with a cassette, an accompanying cassette you know, that was probably sold at like a Toys R Us or, or other toy shops because it was aimed at, at kids. And I, I can uh, have memories of listening to you know, like He-Man books with the record. And then it wasn't reprinted again as a standalone until 89 when the Tim Burton, I'm sure to coincide with the Tim Burton I'm sure. Batman movie, uh, that it was reprinted and packaged with the Batman brand, which I do remember <laughs> as a kid. Cause I begged my parents, you know, I was only well, I don't know, 11. Oh, please buy me Batman cereal. And it comes with a free comic book. Uh, <laughs> but those, both those reprints are only six by nine in size. So the only way to get original, you know, as intended, you know, kind of at seven and a half uh, by ten would have been to get the original miniseries from 1980. Was this and, was this reprinted yeah. in? Because when you talked about Tim Burton, when Burton came out, I kind of went crazy for that film and not buying comics, but uh, I was buying. I must have bought 20 Batman shirts, uh, t-shirts. <laughs> uh, but I did buy. There was a 
<laughs> you didn't go buy any comics. <laughs> no, I bought t-shirts. Jeez. Uh, there was a, a softback, The Greatest Batman Stories Ever Told, I think it was called. Um, was this reprinted in that? Cause no, that... As, as far as I could find, and I think uh, John had backed me up on this, I couldn't find that it was actually collected in a trade until 2014, and it was collected in Tales of the Batman, Len Wein hardcover. Interesting. So I, I really don't know why it would have stayed... You know, it, especially with comics, if, if they think they can make some money with it, they're going to keep printing the thing every year. I mean, just look, look at like Watchmen and other yeah. kind of evergreen uh, trades. They, they reprint those things every year. Yeah. I, I could not find anywhere that it was reprinted other than that 2014 uh, Len Wein hi- uh, hardcover. Yeah. Um, looking at Mike's, that's the only reprint. Mike's Amazing Roller Comics. That's the only listed reprint is uh, Tales of the Batman. Yeah. And John, you said you did some Googling around, and it's uh, it's kind of expensive. You can't find that book for less than 100 Whoa, so wait, what did I miss? What book? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about hardcover. The, the hardcover uh, of Tales of the Batman. By, yeah. Is it Wien or Wine? Because if you go by the Germanic pronunciation, E-I is I, so it should be Wine. But, but I've always but heard of Wien, I think. Yeah. Uh, Okay, anyway. <laughs> like ween yeah. group, you know, push a little daisies and make them come. Sorry. Well, speaking, of, uh, speaking of finds, uh, did you guys see the what Scott Gunner posted yesterday, what he found for two bucks? No. He found, yes. um, was it Fal- uh, Captain America and Falcon? It's the first appearance of Quasar, and he got it for two bucks. Wow. Apparently that's a, that's a, you know, in good shape, it's about a $300, $200 buck. Jeez. Yeah, I, I never find stuff did, like that. I don't either. Yeah, that- isn't that one of Gene Hendricks' big things, Quasar? Oh, yeah, he used to do a show on Quasar, I think. I bet, I bet you his head exploded when he <laughs> saw that. So, John, well, my was, memory of, of oh, yeah, go uh, ahead. The, the Untold Legend, the, I didn't, don't remember it coming out, but I do remember it being a smaller size, physically smaller, which makes me think that I must have seen it at a swap shop or a, you know, a comic show or something. Uh, just just kind of just flopping around inside a, a comic bag, but uh, I I don't know if I've got it in my collection, but I do remember the smaller size, and it seems to me like it had a smaller page count. But uh, we'll get into that a little later. Mm-hmm. Well, does the digest contain each? Like, are there three digests for each issue, or it contains all three issues? All three in one. I've got a ton I of Marvel books one. like those, but <laughs> yeah. Well, you know where Dave lives, so. <laughs> hey, I wrote my name on the first page. You can't have it. Oh, man. Well, We've that's a special been... memory. That's from your grandma. That's, we have that all makes done even... something like that to debase our comics. We should should do a show on that someday. <laughs> Things we regret as adults. Yeah. No, but it, it does. It, it's you know, it's a special connection. This is one of the the first you know comics you know I, I received, and I've hung on to it all these years. Right, so it's. 35 years later mm-hmm. um 40 quiet uh saying since i got it okay oh okay we okay. don't need to do the math <laughs> um, and hopefully i'll you know i can you know let langley read this uh you know because she's she's actually a little uh, a little older than i was when i got it and i could read it just fine it's interesting and, and i'm sure we'll talk about it when we get into the actual comic but it's interesting how they break up the panels and the digest 
because obviously you can't fit a whole comic page on a yeah. digest page. So they have to make, you know, choices as to what gets singled out and what, you know, goes two panels or three panels per page. I, I just find it interesting because, you know, the the at the same time or before this came out, these the blue ribbon digest were coming out and that was a complete um recreation of the you know of the, the, the those issues that it had in it like the the blue ribbon digest too that had the batman stories and it had you know the batman origin yep. it had the the story of batman's father's costume and and of course the joker's five-way revenge and being in that small digest format it made the artwork uh pop even more because like like you know again neil adams um you know attention to detail and and, and shrinking that down to that digest size was beautiful, um, but I, I it didn't lose anything. In fact, if it anything, it gained. You know, for me and the the, the realism of the detail. Yeah, what's interesting about those books now because I, I picked up a bunch of those just to, to have in the collection over the years. You know, pre COVID, when I was out, you know, just um, you know going to half price books or other places, you know, you'd see them for a dollar, two dollars. They're always, you know, well read. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. read them now because the font is so small. You know, <laughs> the, the text size is so small. What's interesting is that this digest, uh, it's as easy for me to read now as it was then. You know, yeah. the, the text is nice and large, clear. Well, Marvel did put out in the late 70s the pocket books. I've got uh, lots of those. those which are... reprinted the Steve Ditko Spider-Man, yeah. the Steve Ditko Doctor Strange. I had, I had all of those. And again, it was, you know, very small. Of course, they did have to destroy... A bunch of the Doctor Strange because of the infamous Flickr page, but um, Flickr and, page. Yeah. Uh, well, of course, when you take a comic book page and you shrink it down, everything gets yeah. much closer together. And there was a scene where Baron Mordo had Doctor Strange, his prisoner, and had put up an elaborate trap where a candle was uh, the main component of that trap. And he said, "With every flicker of this candle, your death looms closer." Well, if you really put flicker really really close together as a word the l and the i well needless to say the bookstores got numerous complaints and they had to destroy all those and that's how i got my free copy because it didn't have a front cover on it uh, <laughs> for years dc had a prohibition against using the word flicker and uh there's a, a story about one of their editors just going apoplectic when he saw it in one of their <laughs> horror stories. Just couldn't couldn't believe that they had ignored his directive and, and slipped it in there for something else. Another one along the same lines is Clint Barton uh, when they introduced his name <laughs> over at Marvel, but I don't know that they pulped anything or, or that they made a big deal of it. Well, but I mean, so the Digest they have a a a good pass in the pocketbooks as well. But, but and maybe it was because of that that when they did print out Untold Legend of the Batman, they decided to do it in that 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 kind of um, expanded format where they made it more much more easier to read uh, the panels. And again, you know, it, it was comic books were getting away from being just children's books, and the 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 book you're talking about there for Batman was part of a children's set that you would sit there and read along while you're listening to the record album. If, if I'm, if I'm understanding right, which one you're talking about. Uh, and yeah, the, the, the six, the six by nine, the MPIs, reprints, yeah. cause they were the, the, 
the two reprintings that we talked about, the MPI uh, and then the, the Batman serial tie-in to the Burtonverse. Right, so they it makes sense that they would um, expand those a little a little differently. They would publish them a little differently, so that they're much easier to read. So, like, you could just sit there and flip the pages while the story's going on. I I, I kind of did that, and the voices really got to me <laughs> as I was preparing for this uh, episode. Uh, I, I listened to it this morning before we got on, and it's a lot, I thought it was gonna be more like a power record, kind of like when you hear the tone, turn the page. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was more of a dramatic uh, reading. Uh, of the of the book, and I thought some of the choices or some of the voices and some of the the way they edited it was a little odd. But we can we can talk about that. We get into it. Well, John, why don't you? Uh, since this is your book, you're going to give us a little synopsis of what's going on and kind of give us a rundown of the the story here. I will absolutely. And um, I I bought this off the spinner rack or off of a. A rack at a drugstore in the tiny little town that I grew up in, and seeing this thing, I was really excited. I couldn't wait to get home and read it. Uh, I was, I wasn't like back then. Um, you know, back then we had just the two comic, the two companies. It was Marvel and DC, and I'm not, and was not a Marvel only or DC only. They both, looking back, they both had, they had their way of reaching an audience. And fortunately for me, I was the audience for both. I loved both styles, whatever, you know, what Marvel brought, I liked what DC brought. So um, I read both, I, I, I equally read both books from both. And um, at this time, you know, Batman wasn't my favorite, but I liked Batman and I liked his cast of characters. I liked Robin, Batgirl, the whole, the whole thing, Catwoman. Uh, so uh, when this came out, I was like, what? We get the, uh, the, and origin stories were not very, they weren't broadcast every every two weeks like they are nowadays, it seems. And anytime you get any kind of a adaptation, you know, you, you start with the origin. So, you know, most of what we knew about Batman was still shrouded in mystery. And it was, um, you know, <laughs> what we really what we really always hear about is, you know, the death of Thomas uh, and Martha Wayne. And then spoiler the alert. Sitting, <laughs> seeing him sitting in his study and thinking, hmm, I should become some kind of a scary creature of the night. Oh, it's an omen. It's a bat. I'll become a Batman. And, you know, that's kind of almost like pretty much what we had. So this was going to explore a lot of the the backstory and all that stuff. So it was very, I was very excited about it and uh, really looking forward to it. And, uh, and, you know, also back then, we had no way of knowing stuff coming out uh, or, or very rare i mean maybe in the big city but where i was i had no nothing called wizard magazine or previews or anything like that so uh, my only my only way of finding out that something was coming down the pike somewhere was those wonderful house ads or maybe something in uh, direct currents so um uh, so got to so that so I was really excited about this and um, all of this for forty cents. What can you say? All new. Which no, no, understand. this is not all new. This was just regular forty cents. Well, the 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 cover on mine um, said oh, it forty does. cents yeah. all new, all and new it underneath. made no sense because for the last year they'd been saying all new, and before that it was like uh, just forty cents, and then it said um, now. 40 cents it, it was it was very confusing because usually when you get all new 40 cents that's usually 
meant they just changed the price. Yeah. Well, I think they were trying to indicate because remember, in the, the, the <laughs> this is following DC's implosion. Mm-hmm. Right. The 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 uh, jumbling together of a bunch of different books and a lot of books preceding this, you know, had a lot of reprints in it. And and so I think what they were trying to call out there was, hey, yeah, it's a little floppy, but this is all new, all new stuff. You're not getting mm-hmm. any reprints in here. Okay. That makes sense. So the cover is by Jose Luis Garcia, and he is the only credit. So I Jose guess I can... Luis Garcia Lopez. Lopez. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, <laughs> Jose. I, I stopped at Garcia. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and uh, he must. I guess because there's not a inker attributed, that means he did the inks, or they mm-hmm. just didn't list the inks. Um, yeah. His name is not on the cover. It's just a C320 is the only that I could find. I'm scanning it, but um, uh, he did all the covers of all three. And um, on the second edition, he's got him and Dick Giordano's um, signatures down there. But uh, uh, So he did the cover uh, on sale April 1980, cover date of July not 1980. Writer is Len Wein or Wine. Artist is... Uh, John Byrne, Inks, Jim Aparo, Colorist, Glennis, Wine, Queen, <laughs> Letterer, John, Nen, uh, Co- uh, Constanza, and the editor is Mr. Paul Levitz. So, uh, the story opens in the Bronze Age familiar Batcave, uh, with Batman getting a package, and, insist- and inside is the tattered remains of a Bat costume. Uh, we find out that this one belonged to dun, 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 Batman's father. The mystery begins to find out who removed the costume and why. Uh, the first issue covers Batman's origins, the beginning of Batman's origin. So this is before his origin, really. <laughs> uh, with his father's attendance at a fancy dress party as the Bat-Man at a, uh, and uh, his resistance to remove a bullet from master criminal Lou Moxon. Moxon is sent to prison, vows revenge, then gets revenge after his release when Thomas and Martha Wayne were murdered by the burglar Joe Till. Martha! Uh, Bruce? <laughs> Why'd you say that name? Why did you say that name? Martha! Why did you say that name? Stop! Please, stop! Why did you say that name? It's his mother's name! <laughs> Bruce's training, studies, and familiar inspiration of his masked identity are explained, and the Batman is born. Adult Batman discovers an older Joe Chill and confronts the murderer of his parents, revealing his identity. Batman reveals his identity to Joe Chill. How do you know? How do you know those details? Because I am that son. I'm Bruce Wayne. And it's this giant picture. Cool. We'll talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this frightens Joey, who's Joe, who somehow escapes. Well, Batman let him go uh, and runs to his buddies to tell them that he killed Batman's parents. And he's the reason that there is a Batman. Very smart thing to do to your criminal friends. Okay. <laughs> because they, of course, get pissed off and they're like, what? What? You're the reason that the Batman undid this or sent me to prison or beat the crap out of me? Bam, I'm going to get you for this. And they all three plug him. But <laughs> they plug them too soon. This, this, folks, is why you don't let emotions cloud your reason. Because they didn't know who Batman was. Hey, they realize later, 
we plugged Joe before we found out who the Batman was. Hey, wait, he's still alive. Then, of course, Batman shows up, wipes up the floor with him, and Joe dies in Batman's arms. I guess you got your revenge. No, I didn't, says Batman. Bruce Wayne did. <laughs> I should say that name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So with that mystery resolved, well, they don't know the mystery of who sent the cage, but uh, all of this is reminiscing to Alfred. Um, uh, once they find, once Bat the mystery of uh, Joe Chill is resolved, of course, uh, Batman stands at his parents' graves and says, well, it's all done. Um, I can go on and keep fighting crime. Uh, you can rest in peace. Back in the present, Batman's memories have not revealed the clue to the mysterious costume thief, and he sets off to Gotham to continue the search. Next time, the origin of Robin, the story of Alfred, and that's... And that's the synopsis. Nice job. Very nice, nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Well done. Well done. I thank you. It was fun. You know, so, I'll say that this this book uh, became to me the definitive origin and history of Batman. Even I had a hard time after Crisis reconciling everything that they were doing when they did when they actually came out with Batman Year One. I was like, this really contradicts everything I know here. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had a long, you know, a, a rough time for years. And then, of course, later, um, they <clears throat> retconned it so that Joe Chill wasn't even the killer. And I think in, uh, was it Final Crisis or one of the other uh, retcons they did, they, they uh, made Joe Chill the killer again. Uh, again, I don't know right now. I, I think Joe Chill's Bruce Wayne's best friend, as far as I know. <laughs> Till he loses his hair and then blames Bruce for it. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait. Well, that's my question because as not being a bad guy, uh, before <clears throat> this was written, how much how much of this is new, and how much is this retelling of stuff that's none already been it. told? None of it. Every bit of it had been told elsewhere, and this is actually a, a you know, like a little bit of disappointment on Burns' part. Because, you know, he realized that it was just going to be a, a go over of the history. And he was just re many of the panels that you see in there are complete recreations from the original stories. So the whole so thing our, with, with Batman being Robin, the original Robin and uh, mm -hmm. and Joe Chill and his, and the, his nanny being Joe Chill's mother, all that was yeah. already established. Yes. OK. See, but see. For me, Brian, all of this was new stuff because I didn't. Yeah, right. I, I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. Uh, and like again, the, the whole know, Batman, I... Batman's dad costume, fancy dress party. Uh, wow, what what was this? Um, Uncle, what's his name? Uncle George or Uncle Philip? Uh, you know the him being the original Robin. <clears throat> I was like, what? Where's all this from? Um, because there were no there were no editors' notes like see. Detective right. Comics 32, right. or, you know, Batman. Which you just know, run down to the store and pick that up. 18. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I couldn't Wikipedia it because, right. you know, uh, Batman doesn't have a very large encyclopedia. That's a hardcover paper book, folks, um, with this. So for me, it was actually a lot of the stuff was new material. So uh, I, I imagine for John Byrne, who probably had all that stuff at his fingertips um it might have been a boring thing but not for me man i was eating this stuff up well yeah, I, would, I mean uh, go ahead uh, well i would i would think as if not if you if 
if all this hadn't been established, and, and I didn't know if this was, so I was reading this, and I was thinking, wow, they are really trying to connect everything to have mm-hmm. you know the fact that his nanny is 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 the mother to the guy who killed his mom. Uh, he was he designed the first Robin costume. It was it was called Robin before there was Robin. Uh, there's detective guy that trains him to be a detective, which I thought that was a little creepy, but, um, uh, you know, sure, son, I'll train you. Um, now you know where he gets it from. <laughs> that's true. More innocent time, Tim. <laughs> well, I did think it was interesting in this story or no, not this one, but one of the other ones, the other issue after this, which kind of gives Robin's his, there's this, there's a scene where he's at the courts at the Robin's parents, Dick Grayson's parents are dead, and he's and the courts say, "Well, you're a bachelor, so you can't possibly adopt this boy, but I'll let you be his legal guardian." But, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. no, no single dads, I guess. In the de- yeah, yeah, it wasn't you know, allowed I, back then in the '50s and uh, much of the '60s. <laughs> but I'll tell you another really weird tie-in with this with this book. Uh, it, it, it just you know, I mean, this book just seems to tie everything together in a nice tiny bow. Um, about six, seven years ago, uh, I was uh, I just started listening. To, I guess it was about seven years ago. I just started listening to podcasts as a way to while my time while I was driving to work because I was having to drive like an hour back and forth to the office every day, and uh, I was tired of listening to music. And I had been listening to books on on CD and such like that. But I started listening to podcasts, and the first things I was listening to was uh, of all things Kevin Smith. And I, I just said, nah, I wanted to listen to something else. You know, he, he talks a lot about comic books, but just not enough to fill the gap of what I what I wanted. And so I started looking around, and I started trying to see if there was anybody talking about John Byrne. And the very first one that came up was a Back to the Bins episode. I think it was episode 48 on this very book, The Untold Legend of the Batman. And that's how I discovered the Two True Freaks Network. And back mm. to the bins, all those guys. And that's what really brought us where we are today as far as third degree burn goes. Because mm-hmm. I discovered these guys and listening to them over and over, it was like they were my friends. Like they became my friends. And it was through them that I met Tim. So if it hadn't been for this book, we wouldn't be here right now. Oh, nice. Well, I figure surely nice Michael... Working. Michael Bailey has probably covered this at one point, right? Because he's such a well, he was on the guy. he was on that back to the bins issue. Oh, okay. Episode. That, that was sense. when Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey were actually doing it. But yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of podcasts out there that have actually covered this particular issue, and they bemoan the fact of how everything is tied together. They they groan at the Mrs. Chilton story or you know, the other aspects of it that just seem to be, you know, a little too neat and nice. But, you know, they don't even stop to think this is 40 years of history up to this point and different writers coming in and always trying to find something new, some some different way of, you know, of, of doing things and bringing yeah. things in. Yeah, yeah. And, I, I, and I'm not a huge fan of the everything needs to sync up either. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Is somebody's brother's uncle, and that's how it got. But you know, um, I I I like the uh, the Joe Chill piece, and I believe they mm-hmm. this was um, basically adapted. And and was it a Batman Adventures episode, uh, the '90s cartoon where this the same thing plays out? Huh. Uh, I'll have to look it up here in, in yeah, one of our breaks. I, uh, I again, yeah, I didn't watch every every episode, so I, I know I missed a lot of things. It wasn't, 
I, I, I've watched a lot. Of course, I watched a lot with my son, but you know, it's like I, I've missed a lot of things like that. I remember the one episode where they they actually had like uh, different people telling stories about the Batman, and they mm-hmm. they reproduced um, the fight between Batman and the uh, that gang in uh, Dark Knight. Uh, returns issue two and i mean I, I saw stuff like that they did a lot of really cool stuff on the the animated series um yeah and it would have fit sure the story that. fits you know kind of the 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 uh lack of a better term more mature or you know uh adult versus you know the brave and the bold cartoon mm-hmm. that followed it but yeah i so I, i'm not a huge fan of everything has to tie together it's it's kind of like when we uh met I think it was two weeks ago when we were talking about Batman the Three Jokers right, uh, series that's coming out right now and and uh, you know everybody had their own opinion on you know should should the Joker's origin be known is that part of his you know uh, mystery you know same with you know the criminal who kills Batman's parents you know there's strong feelings on both sides that it's better if Batman doesn't know who it was right that it's just some random guy who wanted to rob his parents and it, you know, went bad versus other people that believe that, you know, if Batman's the greatest detective in the world, he's going to figure out who it was and, you know, not get his revenge, but get his justice. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay either way. Well, I, th- I think you, when you, the, some of the problem stems from when you, when you're going with, uh, like Batman's origin and, and, you know, from a, a comic from the 40s where it may be three pages or a panel, you know, where it's really condensed. It's like, this happened, it's kind of what John said, you know, his parents were killed, he saw a bat, he became Batman. It's that simple. But later on, when they wanted, they want to kind of decompress and they want to expand that. Okay, how can we dig into it? Well, let's see. How did, uh, maybe he finds out who the guy is. Well, let's, uh, maybe his father was Batman first, so that inspired him to wear a costume like that you know so they kind of just start right just start picking nuggets to to flesh out stories and i don't know if it needs to be done or not you know i think and it and sometimes it's successful on various degrees sometimes it yeah uh, some of this felt a little bit remember we we covered spider-man chapter one by burn and he Mm -hmm. felt like he was kind of trying to make all these little connections everywhere that's what this feels like if if I didn't know all this existed and Wayne just kind of just giving it this in a, in a, to a kind of condensed, he's kind of gathering all this information and giving it to us in one story, it would feel like he felt the need to, well, I got to connect A to B to C to D so Batman gets to where he needs to be. Um, so I'm kind of curious to how, how as Batman fans or as the Batman community, how they feel about this uh you said some people don't really. You said yourself, um, Dev, you don't care. You don't care if it's all if it's all connected or not. But yeah, but you, you a little overpacked. It seems. But like you have to. Overpacked. But you have to remember that. I mean, the stories that we're talking about, the the origin story, the original origin story, and the, the the this story here of his father and that costume came from a much earlier age, like the fifties and the sixties. This wasn't, you know, the, you know, the even in the age of when Denny O'Neill and them came in, it was when the readers were, in fact, eight years old to four, you know, to thirteen or fourteen, and and you know they 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 bought stuff like that without, you know, they bought it. They didn't um, fuss about it or anything. They didn't get letters from people saying, oh, you know, this is a groaner, because they weren't twenty, thirty, and forty year old people. 
Mm-hmm. So these types of, of co- connections just made the kids go, oh, "Wow!" You know, it, it, it was it was yeah. different. different. And they writing. wouldn't they wouldn't be reading them, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later either, and saying, exactly. "Oh my God, really?" <laughs> exactly. And I think that a lot of people lose sight of that fact, lose sight of the fact that of the of what audience that comic books were written for in the first place. Yeah, the disposable nature of them. Yeah. yeah, they were probably and meant to be. Fact, oh, they recycle stories every five years just because they know that that the readership is gonna is gonna overturn, you know, and so they don't have to sit there and keep coming up with new and different stuff all the time. They can recycle the same thing, just different writers and artists handling it. And yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, it, it it is what it is, and and you know, we we come back and we look at it, and we're just like kind of groaning a little bit at it. I, I'm not so much because I grew up reading it, you know, when I was at that, that younger age. And so today when everything's being written, it's basically being written like, you know, the 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 stories in, you know, the penthouse magazine, the the the, the re- people writing in, you know, it's like it's very adult <laughs> stories. No, how do how do we get to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like the same. Let's, let's go back yeah, over this in detail now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, it's written for a different audience. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. It's, it's written for a, a mature audience, you know, and it shouldn't be, or at least there should be books still written for this audience. And uh, I'm going to get off the soap soap well, here. Well, okay, let me ask you this: Would would you guys consider this like a good jumping on point because it gives Batman's history just lays it out for yes. you, everything you need oh, to know? Oh, so that's the intent. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. As, so. as, a, as a young kid reading this, right, it was perfect. Yeah. You know, easy to digest. The story made sense. You know how it tied all these different elements together of, you know, Batman and, you know, his history and why things are the way they are. Uh, for sure. You know, unfortunately, yeah. as we've talked about, you know, I mean, you, by the way, you can pick up this digest for about five bucks, you know, online. I mean, like I said, these things were everywhere. Uh, and, and I think, like, uh, you know, even at 40, if you can still read it just fine, and it's still enjoyable, and it really does uh, let Burns' artwork uh, really shine because it is in black and white. So you get to see, you know, just the, the really the pencils and inks uh, without the, uh, you know, uh, coloring distracting from that. Yeah. Well, we, we didn't. We did not talk about the fact that Byrne only did one yeah. of the three issues. Yeah. So that's that. That's part of the story. Is that um, well, that I read, and now I can't. I can't bring it up where exactly it was. But so the story that I recall, and Brian or someone can correct me, was that Byrne had a three-month hole in his schedule, and DC said, "Hey, you want to draw Batman?" And he's like, "Okay, I'm branching out." I think this was probably his audition so that he could maybe do some extra work <laughs> with new characters and stuff that he wanted to do. That's my thought. That's in there, but he did have a hole in his schedule and he's like, okay, I can do until legend of Batman, but I can only do it in this time frame because after that I'm booked, you know, with whatever projects. And I don't know what those probably were. Maybe Avengers or he something was like doing that. FF Avengers, X-Men. Yeah. A couple of Spider-Man so, stories. Um, but apparently it took so long to get the story to him that by the time they got issue two, he, uh, the window was done. He couldn't do it. <laughs> Even right. as fast as he was and as, as many pages as he was cranking out, he's just like, I can't. So he just got the first one. And then the rest was done by Jim Aparo, um, who um, 
quintessential Batman artist anyway. So um, uh, no, the, the series did not suffer because John Byrne didn't do the whole thing. But um, yeah, he didn't do the whole should, thing. Should we hear his his version in his own words? Oh, do you have it? Sure. Yeah, I do. Um, so for those listening at home or in their car, bear with me. It is a couple of paragraphs, but not too much. So John Byrne actually talked about this particular um, issue and and why he didn't do all three, because I'm sure people asked him over the years. He says, while in attendance at the Chicago Con in July of 1979, uh, I would have been like four months old, I heard the series was in the pipeline and scooted over to the DC table to make myself available, if they still needed an artist. Since I was riding high on the crest of X-Men at that time, even if the sales did not reflect it, it was something of a coup for DC to get me, even for a miniseries. However, I explained to them that I had only a very narrow window, about three months, in which I could work on this project. Since it was slated to be three issues, I didn't see that as any sort of problem, provided the plots were delivered in a timely uh, manner. This was agreed to by DC, and back I went to Calgary after the end of the con to wait for the first plot. And wait, and wait, and wait. Almost two full months went by, and the first plot showed up in my mailbox. I was mighty ticked off, of <laughs> course, but this was Batman, plus an exclamation point there. Somehow I would make it work. I completed the full pencils, not loose breakdowns as DC would later report, for the first issue and sent them in. I waited for the second plot and waited and waited and waited. Another two months went by, and I received a call from the editor saying the first half of the second plot would be on its way to me by the end of the week. And this is in quotes, don't bother, and reminded them that I had already stretched far beyond that three-month window. Now, if I tried to finish a series, still two full issues to be drawn, it would screw up my other deadlines, and it didn't end there. When I had expressed interest in doing the series, DC had told me there was no way that they could match my Marvel rate. I said, okay, anyway, it was Batman. Now, since I had said I could not finish the job because they had let me down on their end, the head honcho at the time called me up and offered me double my Marvel rate if I would finish. Uh, insult to injury. <laughs> I needed more days in the week, I said, not more money. DC hired Jim Aparo to ink the first issue and finish the rest. They couldn't leave it at that, though. They reported that Aparo had been called in to work over my, quote-unquote, very loose breakdowns, but they blew it there. Terry Austin had been scheduled to ink the series, and he'd already been sent pages of the first issue. He knew what I had turned in was exactly the kind of finished pencils I was doing on X-Men. And he concludes with, it was a long time after that before I got any urge to work for DC again. Mm -hmm. Five years. Wow. <clears throat> Well, I, I since we're talking, I, w I was going to transition to that about talking about the artwork because uh, yeah, if yeah, we don't we don't need to go through the story. <laughs> yeah, because he didn't he didn't <laughs> write the story. Well, uh, I, I was going to ask you guys, what do you think about uh, a paro over uh, uh, Burns pencils? Because I wasn't really familiar with, at least I didn't think I was familiar with a paro because I think he did almost exclusively work for DC, and but I realized that he is kind of the face of Batman, I guess, in the 70s. His look is what you think of when you think of. And I did look at some Brave and Bold that I've got to compare. And uh, one, I think 
Burns' uh, layouts aren't quite as dynamic as uh, Paro's stuff that he was doing. It seems a little more energetic and on his own inks, and these inks look a little a little cleaner. Aparo to me feels a little like a, like a, a Gene Colon, kind of a kind of a little more of a sketchy kind of a look. And over Burn, it seems to have cleaned his look up. But I don't see a lot of burn in this. Not in the faces, um, not a lot in the figures. Uh, occasionally it pops through every once in a while. Oh, yeah, it's burn. But I see more Aparo than I do burn. So yeah, what this, you guys... is, this makes me think of you know Bob Layton on Iron Man. It didn't matter what penciler there was in there. Bob Layton gave uh, the, the, those pencils the look that they needed to be the Iron Man book. So you had John Romita Jr. and Jackson Gweiss and bunch of other guys that came in there and did you know and even john byrne uh did pencils on iron man but they all look very you know that marvel house style of the 70s and jim aparo was the dc house style for batman of that same era and so when he comes behind byrne and does these inks it look it makes the book look just so aparo now byrne liked the ink um and he thought that 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 at the time they were some of the best inks done on his work yeah, it, it, as Tim said, it's it's very clean. Um, you know, we, we've mentioned in previous you know discussions about does the artwork hold up? Uh, you know, in this case, forty years later, and yeah, I mean, it, it's very clean. The coloring is really good. Burns uh, pencils, you know, are, are just as sharp here as we've seen in other issues. You know, people talk about you know like certain eras. You know, like that's their Batman. You know, or their Superman. You know, the mm -hmm. look. Yeah. This this is my batman me too you know the, the blue the gray the white the tall pointed ears yep. yeah <laughs> the scalp I mean, thing yep yep i mean i i i you know like other versions of the batman you know even the, the current iteration which is more of a black dark gray and a purple under his uh cape but this this to me is the quintessential batman yeah. Yeah, the Batcave with the giant square computer, the Joker card, the, the <laughs> dinosaur statue, the penny. <laughs> yeah, yep. You know, all of that stuff. Um, yeah, it's great. Now, I didn't particularly, f I mean, even now knowing his work, if I open this up, I am not going to say this is John Byrne's artwork. It exactly. just does not look like Byrne's artwork to me at all. I mean, maybe if I stretch somewhere, I could say, yeah, that kind of looks like burn. But um, I think I think um, Aparo's inks really kind of uh, overtook Burn's style. And in, in some cases, some of the inks look like Carmine Infantino was brought in because <laughs> just some of these things like about Mrs. Um, Chilton. I mean, those couple of pages with her totally remind make make me think of Infantino's artwork. Yeah, I see what you're saying there, especially with her face in the profile, uh, both profile shots. The only, yeah. the, the only page is page nine where you get that kind of montage of Robin. He's in the center mm -hmm. and you've got that. That to me, I think it's because the inks are not very heavy, they're light. Yeah. That is the only time that kind of like, oh, that I can kind of see burn in Robin's face and maybe yep. in the figures around it. But I mean, I, I don't want to say that he's, he's lying. I'm not going to come out and say he's lying, but... If he did tight pencils that same, because he was doing the X Men exact same time he was doing this. If he was yeah. doing the same tight pencils on this that he did in X Men, and you can see what Terry Austin does on his X Men work, then Aparo either went and deliberately made it look more like his style, to your point, Brian, so it looks more yeah. like the house style, 
or Byrne didn't do as tight of pencils as he says. Yeah. I, I'm thinking that Byrne did do tight pencils. I, you know, the, the, the thing that we both, that we all kind of, and I don't know whether we miss it or, or whatever, is that Byrne's style has always been, you know, heavily influenced by Neil Adams. And it's all, it's obvious that Jim Aparo's style is also heavily influenced yeah. by Neil yeah. Adams. And so when you get these two guys together, you know, <laughs> It, 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 it's going to meld, and that's what I think it is. I see, you know, even though Byrne is doing a page-by-page reproduction of, of all the stuff that was done before, you know, the scene where, where he pulls the mask off in front of Joe Chill, that's right out of the original story. Uh, Batman issue 47, I think, or something, you know, way back then. You know, he did these, but I can see the burn work in there, in the faces. You know, that second montage where you've got Batman and Robin and Batman's punching out the Joker over all the villains in the back. Mm-hmm. And you can see Burns' yeah. work on Batman's face. And it's almost like Dick Sprang came in and drew Robin. Oh. Uh, Dick Sprang, a very old, older artist uh, in the 40s. Squeeze me. <laughs> Baking powder. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that that comes to the fact that it doesn't have as it's those are simple outlines. All the montage of the faces behind it, and they're kind of faded. Those look very burned. Yeah, yeah because it's did. just a simple I outline. It's it. not a heavy ink. You're not doing a heavy brushwork on it. But and I know I I don't want to interject, but I know that Kirk has a commitment uh, here in about 15 minutes. So, Kirk, where, where do you fall on this? Do you think this? Did Byrne really give tight pencils, or is Aparo overpowering him? He might have already left us. Did he already leave? I think Harry had to drop off. Um, you can put it in the comments. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. Those um, those two pages, the one with Robin uh, showing the mentorship with uh, Detective Harris, I, and that was really cool. I liked I liked that. Uh, when I was a kid, if I wasn't hadn't been collecting at the time this would have gotten torn out and pinned up on my wall <laughs> because this is we we rarely had posters or anything like this or pin up i mean they did have pinups in the comics but we didn't have posters and things like now uh and so this showing all the mentorship and you know learning and stuff that was cool and then that picture with batman and robin uh uh punching out the joker and uh on page 13 story page 13 um uh, that's just really cool as well. I mean, he got every single one of his rogues gallery t- at the time, uh, and just really super cool. Even Gentleman Ghost. I mean, <laughs> that was just so—it's so great. And um, oh, and by the way, just a little tidbit here. So um, it kind of bothered me because I was just like, "What? What's this?" So on page six, where the uh, the woman who found the the bodies and Bruce. Leslie Tompkins. Yeah. Leslie Tompkins. Yeah. I was like, I know why does that name sound familiar to me? Why does that name Gotham. sound familiar to me? Huh? Gotham. Exactly. Gotham. Right. Lee Tompkins. And I was like, whoa, right. wait a second. Someone pulled that out of there. That's kind of, that's kind well, of. Well, no, funny. I mean, she's been a part of the Batman yeah. history. I mean, okay. In, okay. In, in the books that I read, she was always around like a social worker kind of thing. But, yeah, I I don't remember. I didn't remember the name before at all until ah. until and then I'm like, oh, so they pulled her into the Gotham TV yeah. series mythos. So that was cool, and to me, that's just really cool. That just shows the the amount of work that whoever created Gotham is doing to mine the Batman throughout 
you know, 80 years worth of stories to pull characters in and and give them give a familiarity to that series for those who have been reading for a long time. So um, one of the, the pages or the panel that always stuck out to me as a kid. And if I go to it here in my my digest is when when Bruce reveals himself to chill, just yeah. such a terrifying, angry yeah. face on Bruce there. Right. The I am Bruce Wade. Yeah, and and <laughs> Joe Chill, right, uh, you know, looks terrified. And I'll tell you, in the digest, his um, discussion with Chill, those top three panels, mm-hmm. uh, it starts the top panel uh, on that page starts on a, on a previous page, and then you just get the two panels that are the middle and the right, and then you get that whole reveal is just Batman screaming, you know, that I am Bruce Wayne. Joe Chill is completely cut out. Oh, that. really? Yeah. Oh. He's completely cut out. So you and just so, see a cigar? Or did they just, like, completely redraw all those aspects of his face that would have been in there? No. Yeah, um, I'll have to send it to you because it's, it's hard to explain. Oh, okay. Wow. So they, they cropped the picture. So if you think right where Batman's bicep is in his... in. Uh, the yeah. first prong on his gauntlet, draw a That's... straight line down there, and okay. there's no no word bubble and there's no cigar, right? It's just Batman, and then you shift over his text to the left. Mm, okay. So it you know it made that scene even more you know impactful as a kid because yeah. you're reading along and did you say Wayne? It's like I know because I have. <laughs> Yeah, does and, it does it chill look a little bit like Kirby with that cigar? Yeah, that white hair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but overall, I mean, there are bits and pieces where I can uh, you know, focus in and and see what looks like burn. But most of it, to me, I, I think Aparo took over, and uh, definitely, I mean, the layouts are great. I like, but again, of course, Brian is saying that a lot of them are just. Um, redrawn from established books. So, yeah, know. there's there's one panel that that got me though, and that is um, where Bruce is on his knees at his parents' grave, and it's storming outside. And he does, I swear, I'll dedicate my life, yeah. my inheritance, to bringing the killer to justice. In all the other origins that I'd read over the years, I'd always seen Burn like uh, not Burn, I mean uh, Wayne standing in front of like his parents' pictures at like the fireplace. Yeah. Uh, and you know, he's sitting there, he's got like one hand over his heart and I swear I'll dedicate my life because you know, he's just a little kid and he's doing that. I never, ever saw this right here. And I always thought this was just like, perfect. This is the way it should be. Again, the other ones were done for like eight year old kids. This is like, you know, for the, the, the aging audience. Yeah. The teens, the, mm-hmm. those of us who are yeah. teens. I got a, <laughs> I got a question about, and it's not the artwork, but it's more the story, and it's some of the timeline here, <laughs> when the when he's he's got the flashback where he sees his father in the uh, the uh, the outfit, and he says, you know, I, I want to wear one of those. He says, yeah, you know, maybe someday you'll you know when you grow up you can wear it. So you say there he looks like he's maybe five or six, you know, he's a yeah. little he's a little kid. Well. Then the whole thing happens with with, uh, with Moxon, and he goes to jail. Well, then ten years later, when he gets out, and of course, several years, several years. But he says he gets ten years. Oh. I thought he spent the whole time there. I thought he spent the whole ten years. Ooh, that's a good point. 
So that is a good look. Yeah. Gotham's jails are overcrowded. <laughs> Most of the time, they don't serve the full sentence. That's what I was thinking. I, yeah, it had to be. Yeah, but of I course, served my time. But of course, Chill stupidly says, "He says I'm too smart to, to kill you myself. I'm gonna hire somebody." Like right out in the open, just tells him, "Yeah, you know, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, Thomas Wayne, did you not go to the police and say, hey, this guy put away just threatened me?' But you know, anyway, so." I, so when he gets when they get killed, it looks like Bruce is only about four or five years older. So I thought that if it was ten years, he would have been about fifteen or sixteen. Uh, and I didn't think he would. I well, thought he was supposed to be about twelve when his parents were killed, right? He was. Let's say he was four years old when his father was in that costume. All right, you could say that. I mean, he's up yeah. to his father's race. Yeah, yeah. And so that would make him about fourteen. But I, I always say because it's like I was never sure. What age Bruce was really supposed to be at when his parents were killed? Was it eight, twelve, or fourteen? Something like that. You know, yeah. Fourteen is way too old. I always, my understanding has always been he was under ten. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. you know, he was a kid. You know, to me, you start getting into fourteen. I mean, you're. I still call people in their twenties kids, but at yeah. fourteen, I mean, you're 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 starting to become a man. You my know, my like, son is thirteen, and he is almost my height, and he is wide, wider than me. He's got shoulders out, the, like wings. Yeah, and that's not how he's it's de- you know, depicted. He's always depicted as being it's a kid, a little, yeah, yeah, half yeah. half the height of his parents. Yeah, and and just to kind of keep some continuity here, so I sent in the chat pictures of the the digest and how they decided to break that up. It'd be interesting to ask, you know, Burn. Uh, did, did they have any input on that? You know, because it does affect how the story, you know, feels. You know, when you compare that version to, and I unfortunately I don't have an original copy of the 1980. I have the the Batman brand serial, uh, six by nine size. Which, by the way, I think this is Baxter paper because it's wow, it's got a different smell to it. You know, that f- smells like Baxter paper, and it, it has not <laughs> yellowed at all. Um, well, I'm reading, the, the, I'm reading the one that Brian sent everybody that I'm assuming is a scan of the original. Yeah. But you look at the digest, right, that, that you know, uh, pivotal scene, right, between Bruce and mm-hmm. Joe Chill, completely different than how it is in the book. Yeah. Well, they still put his reaction in there on the next page, so yeah. Who put the Sharpie on Batman's symbol? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to talk about the Sharpie. <laughs> I told you I got this when I was like five. Yeah. Hey, you know what? I was I was just kind of flipping back and forth on pages here, uh, yeah, and you know how black and white. Uh, mentioning on how you know Aparo's ink seemed very strong, and I'm kind of looking at the modern or the the the, st- the part that takes place in the present, and then the stuff that takes place as a retro as a memory. I'm wondering if he didn't because. The stuff that takes place in the present looks to me more like John Byrne's artwork that we're familiar with. And then I think maybe he just kind of maybe he went retro with the style and purposefully drew it to look, you know, in in the the way that it was that he was drawing it from. That, you know that's true. Yeah, we don't know what I mean. We we assume if he said he did tight pencils. We assume it's going to look like other work we're familiar with. But maybe he wanted to draw it more like the house style, more like Aparo. So if that's the case, or, or, then then it looks it would be fine. Yeah, because uh, I'm just I'm like looking at first page with uh, the the actual splash page where he's pulling out the costume from the box. I mean that's t- 
so much. That's such a great image there. And then, you know, the, the pages that we already pointed out uh, of him punching out the Joker and all that stuff. I mean, that is so much is that that little smile on Batman's face on page 13 is just like, yeah, that's so John burned at that time. Great artwork. I mean, the artwork is great. So I, I wonder if he just didn't go into the uh, the re- a retro des- style uh, just to fit those those old stories. So that that's that's all right. That that makes sense to me. Yeah, we don't know. It's it's you know, it's like when Brian and I covered Starbrand and we talked about how that a lot of that didn't look like Burn because that was that was Palmer, wasn't it, Brian? That was inking him on Starbrand. Yeah, yeah. And it looked very different than what. And even his covers, he was doing covers for Starbrand. It looked that was more like Burn, but you know, it, it just shows that you know there's some. I mean, I think Kirby, you know, I don't care who's inking Kirby, it's going to look like Kirby, yeah, uh, or Ditko. <laughs> and there are certain uh, artists that it their art always shines through, and others, it depending on if you're doing uh, who's inking it, it can vary quite mm-hmm. a bit. So it's not as distinct because Burn is so distinct. Sometimes it can it can look different yeah. depending who's in it. Was uh, let me ask you this: Was in this that he it it it, it says that he was all his training that he was going to become a cop. Now is that something from that was already been established that he was going to become a cop before he realized he couldn't do it because they're too hamstrung by the law? No. Yeah. That's... Or is that new? No, that was that was always part of the history in there. Um, but I can't find where that came from. Uh, I did find the like the from Detective Comics two thirty five. The, uh, I'm going to see if I can share my screen here with you guys for just a moment. Uh, yeah, here it is. Tell me if you see this. And this is uh, the original pages from when um, Bruce's father wore the Batman costume. Are you seeing this? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Okay. And so, like, there's a picture of young Bruce. Look at that jawline. Yeah. <laughs> and Mom is scary in that Mothra costume. Mothra! Mothra! <laughs> Oh, my God. I mean, you guys have seen Strip, right, where Godzilla's beating up on, or, or Ghidra's beating up on Mothra, and, or uh, Godzilla, and Godzilla says, says save, save Mothra. Save Mothra, yeah. <laughs> yeah because why did you say that name? Why did you say that name? And there she is. She's Mothra. Every time I see a chin like that, all I can think is distant father and, and because, uh, <laughs> you know, all, all the dads in the old comic books, right, you know, they're all working and the son is right goes to school comes home you know salutes the flag you know eats dinner and goes to bed so wow i that's that's a cool um image there i didn't I, like i said i never saw that and so i was really surprised that this whole my dad was a batman once so that was kind of cool i sent the pictures of the uh the i think john had kind of called them pinups before and they, they definitely are meant to be in pinup style I don't know if the black and white helps it to make more, make it more look more like burn, or do you still think it's been inked heavy? If you guys look at those, no, actually, I think his art, his style stands out a heck of a lot more there because um, it's uh, the, the on all those background images. They're they're like mentioned earlier. They're very they're very um, faded, like a watermark rather than um, a strong yeah, pencil. So almost from- yeah. Like they did in the uh, the Who's Who at DC. Yeah. The, the, that, that Serpent's always done like one color rather than multiple colors. Yeah. And it also reminds me of uh, the Captain America 255 where uh, they just uh, reproduced the penciled page rather than uh, inked them. 
because the pages were so tight. But obviously, you can see that Aparo has gone in there and and, and done you know done his bit on it. Um, yeah. But it, I, again, you know, it's it's gorgeous the the combination here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I'm of the mind that Byrne did some very very tight pencils. Um, you know that, that you know he he would do, and I would take you know, and again Terry Austin is going to be just good a judge of that. He's got no reason to sit there and say otherwise. It'd be interesting um, to see if Austin had inked this to see what it would look like. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, but, you yeah, know, it was great artwork. Uh, great story. Um, so, yeah, Tim, after, after having not read it as a kid or, or had that connection, what do you think reading it? Because as, as you said at the top, this was your first time reading this. Yeah. It Did was, you like I mean, it? I liked it. I mean, it... it I liked it more now knowing that all this had been established. Because when I first read it, I thought it was just like, oh, wow, he's really, really trying to connect all the dots. And I thought it felt a little forced. But knowing now that this has all been established and he was actually kind of just going over it again, then, uh, yeah, it was fine. I mean, I thought the artwork, the I liked the artwork. I, I From looking at the, the, when I went back and looked at a couple of the Brave and Bold that Aparo did, I really like his style and his storytelling. And like I said, it seemed a little more, uh, I don't want to say dynamic, but look, it, it was a little more Neil Adams. You know, Neil Adams really goes kind of crazy with angles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what his, uh, and, and Colin and, and then Gene Colin. And I know Paul talked about how, and our, when we did, a our team up with the back to the bend guys, he said, he thought Gene Colin was the most, uh, of all artists, his stuff always looked like it was in motion, and I thought yeah. a lot of Aparo stuff looks that way. Uh, and and I still kind of stand that sometimes Burn looks a little static. It's not that it's not dynamic; it just looks a little uh, frozen. And uh, I think that's this. This is a kind of a combination of the two. Like I, I said, Aparo over Burn is kind of his inks have kind of cleaned up a little bit, but it's a little more sketchy on Burn's work on this but overall I, I i liked it i mean i thought it was a i kind of looked at the other two issues i kind of i mean i didn't i didn't have a chance to really i kind of thumbed through them to kind of come want to see how the story was going uh, and i thought it was interesting that it was really gets into the i think it really gets into the joker and robin and, um and commissioner gordon's i think it gives into his origin um so i mean it, yeah, it's, it's not like, making me a batman fan but mm-hmm. uh i appreciate the work you know, one of the things that this book did cause, it caused a lot of podcasters and others, you know, looking at it in later years to try and find what that explosion was, the warehouse explosion that, that you know, it's like in the second or third page, Alfred is sitting there going, Master Bruce, are you all right? You've been pushing yourself hard lately. Your problems with the Catwoman, the warehouse explosion. And Batman's like rubbing his head, like he's got a you know, he's got a, a headache, you know. <laughs> and this this is the essence of the story itself, you know, what's going on there. And I mean, it is the only thing, the only reason why this story is going on. You're getting all the origin pieces and everything, but the actual story behind it is weak, you know, because it doesn't tie in with anything else. There's nothing else in Batman's continuity you can go back to and say, okay, this is what caused that. They mention a warehouse explosion, but there is no warehouse explosion in any of the books. And, and you're talking at a time when there was Batman, Detective Comics, Brave and the Bold, and Batman Family, which is like a 100-page book that had multiple 
stories about Robin, Batgirl, Alfred, uh, maybe Lucius Fox, and might be a story about Batcat somewhere. I'm assuming, but <laughs> <laughs> the you know the there was no tie-in for this anywhere. It was just kind of you know written there in the background again. It's, got, it's Gotham. There's warehouses exploding yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and, that, and that's like a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> It's it's all that in between the, in between this, the panel stuff that's going on. Yeah, yeah. The weakest part of it is is that part. Now, one of my favorite parts of it as an adult in later years is the scene where Bruce is in college and he's got it's it's a very small group of people all bunched together there for the lecture. I mean, it looks like there's only like what eight eight nine people. Yeah, yeah, like nine nine students all. and Bruce Bruce is one of them. So it looks like it's just like his group of friends or something that's in there. And the professor, while he doesn't look it, I, I, I was reading it like John Houseman on the paper chase. You know, remember the guy, the that Smith was supposed, Yeah, I think that's what it was supposed that's, to be. No, Mr. Wayne, that's <laughs> the law. <laughs> it looks a little bit yeah. like Perry White. Um, uh, actually, the guy that played Jonathan Kent in the uh, Lois and Clark series is who it makes me think oh, of. Oh, it does look like him. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So to point out some of the other differences, since we've, we've covered uh, you know yeah. all of it including the warehouse the mysterious warehouse explosion so i just realized that digest does not include in and in the comic at least the batman brand serial trademark uh does include a couple extra pages by joe staten uh secrets of the batman oh yeah that's where, the yes the bat cave stuff right yeah and if you look yeah, down that's at the very end yeah, yeah at the very very back of it but Joe Staten did those, and it's kind of funny how things have changed, right? Because it's, you know, the workshop where Batman designs and builds his specialized equipment from batarangs to rebreathers. You know, it's not this complicated relationship with Wayne Enterprises and his skunk works and how he funnels money to the skunk works. <laughs> yeah. like, like, that could have been like a whole page, you know, it's like Batman does it here. Repair shop to enable Batman to keep the Batmobile. Batmobile, Whirly Bat, and Robin Cycle in good repair. Like <laughs> you can tell, you know, this is targeted. You know, at least these are targeted towards the younger side because it's you know Batman's doing everything. He's fixing the cars. He's making new gadgets and weapons. You know, there's he's a doing, study. He's, he's doing it all in costume. Why does he have right. to do it in costume? <laughs> well, see, I like that. They've got the the recreation of the study. Yeah, from from upstairs down there in the back cave, and there's Batman cold chilling. All he needs is a beer. Yeah, he's, he's sitting totally there like laying laying up. Looks like a chase lounge or maybe he's brooding. A he's not chilling. Yeah. He's brooding. But he he's just he's in the costume without the cowl on, and I always like those images for some reason. I always thought that yeah, was kind those of those are fun. How come yeah. we've never gotten all the? And I know in the cartoons that they did it, but in all the films, but they think it's too silly. We've never got the giant penny or the Joker card or the T Rex. And and that's I think that's why because it's too silly. Now again, we might get that in a Robert Pattinson movie, but I kind of doubt <laughs> I it. I doubt I doubt that. <laughs> It'd be cool if Zack Snyder were able to pull it off in the Justice League uh, director's cut. See, and I always liked the Batcave having those things in them because mm -hmm. to me it was it was always a Batman's you know, and I know obviously there, there's the trophy element to it. But yeah. to me, it always was Batman's the only one capable of making sure that those don't get back out there. Like, well, like he's you know, the I mean, Fort Knox of villain. Superman's you know. Fortress of Solitude also had you know the the giant things. It had a dinosaur in there, yep. and you know the the recreation of Krypton and 
Lara and, and Jor-El standing over. I'm trying to think what were the bigger things. I've got that gigantic got Treasury Edition. He's got thing. the zoo where he keeps yeah, all those uh, endangered extraterrestrial species. And the room of kryptonite that he can't go into. It must be dust covered. Well, you know, there's uh, got to there's got to be a an entire like damage control for DC. There's got to be an entire industry on disposal of supervillain, either right. lairs or super weapons or yeah, hardware. What do you do with these things, right? Yeah, yeah. you gotta because Batman can't keep all of them, so he's got to turn his stuff over. And it's like, okay, yeah. dismantle dismantle the, the super thing. Does yours have the uh, the mapping of the bat utility belt? Hello. Hello. I brought in my official Batman utility belt from 1966. Pretty amazing. Where did you get this? Obviously Bruce Wayne, you idiot. <laughs> I came to the pawn shop today to sell my Batman utility belt from 1966. Yes, I was yeah. just getting to that. And this is this is one of those things I was talking about, I, 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 I guess, about like a year ago or so, where you know, the, the utility belt or something with all those pockets, you know, could get really, really confusing because you've got 10 different items going around just the one side of the belt. The the, the skeleton key and, and pick locks, the batarang, the rebreather, miniature camera, infrared flash, uh, flashlight and lens, bat rope. And this thing looks like the size of a candy bar. And, and <laughs> yeah, it's got the bat rope in there. I thought Laser it was going to Acid chemicals, smoke capsules, tear gas pellets. Where's the shark repellent? No, 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 no. It's <laughs> acid, acids, comma chemicals. chemicals. So, so shark oh, repellents in there. More, yeah, there's more, more, more chemicals in but there. But it's a test tube with a stopper in there. Look at that. <laughs> uh huh. Acid doesn't work on test tubes. And he's got to have thermite in there somewhere because it keeps going off. Well, again, he, this he, is just one side. So, he's gonna yeah. have uh, like uh, uh, different specific batarangs. Like, oh, I'm going up against a Joker. I better grab this one. I'm, you know, I'm going up against Two Face. I better get this one. So he's gonna have different. Yeah, but, but you can see it's like you know, he's sitting there going, "Okay, I need to pull out my smoke capsule and throw it out so no one can see me." And he accidentally throws down the acid. <laughs> the floor collapses underneath him. And he goes down. Batman's like, "I make that mistake. Come on." Come on. Somebody's face you've got, you've oh. got all these little things there, and I, I don't know how whether they're labeled in Braille or, <laughs> you know, so he knows not to grab the wrong thing. Okay, I need to throw my batarang, and you hit him upside the head with the rebreather. So two <laughs> things I do like about this is one's comical, the other one's not. But the, the belt buckle itself is the actual transistor radio and JLA signal device. Yeah. So it's not in his cowl. Mm-hmm. Um and then that just looks like a regular belt. So are there loop, you know, belt, you know, holes on the other side of the utility belt? Does he have to like, you know, put it on like a regular belt? Because that looks no. like a regular belt. I think it would. It, I don't know. It would be a like a snap it's a or mock-up. something. No, it's it's a mock up to oh, fool okay. everybody. Much like you know the he's got the chest plate under the bat symbol, you know, which is basically one big target. So you know, it's it's misdirection. What's that? What's that line from? Uh, Rasal Ghoul, you know, deception and whatever, you know, are the tools of the ninja. Now, do your misdirection. Yeah. Uh, do your copies because they are not in the digest, but in the 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 uh, back cover or the back part of the front cover has a black and white uh, reprint to the cover of Batman number one hundred four. Great moments in Batman's history. Yeah. This and is one hundred seven. 
I got 107, and this was scan. It's 107, and at the very beginning, oh, there's no, no. one. 104, yeah. And then the back, the back cover inside has, yeah, That's 107. One. The digest doesn't have those. And first, and there's Owlman. That's a great moment. In Ter- terrifying. Since we're talking about the covers, what do you guys think about the? The cover's a little meta because it's got one. It's got yeah. you know his three big villains. And they are like, it's almost like, because the, the title of the book is on a book. And they're, either it's a giant book or they're little. And they're, you know, like, and the Joker's like, this is going to tell us everything we know about the Batman so we can defeat him. Uh, <laughs> and they're not even, you know, they're not in the, uh, they're not in the uh, the book itself. But uh, I thought it was interesting. The other two covers to the issue two and three kind of play with the title too. It kind of is integrated into whatever the thing is in the, um, uh, well, in the cover. This yeah. cover in later days made me think of uh, Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness. Yeah. <laughs> and when they, when, they, when they they made all the miniature versions of Ash running around because this is a gigantic book and there's a candle right next to it. And so you've got mini Joker, mini Penguin, mini Riddler running around going, hey, this book will tell us everything we need to know. <laughs> well, so, you know, you know, they knew it wasn't a great cover because the digest got what cover to three. I think we're bad. Yeah. yeah. Sky. And that's got what's it. got used on the hardcover tales of, um, mm. yep, tales you're of right. Batman. And yeah. And it, and it is a dynamic cover. I mean, way, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not a, you know, this cover either. I don't, I think it does a disservice because it makes it seem like it's going to be kind of silly. Well, the, and the, and the title legend is different in all three. One, this, in this issue two, it looks yeah. more computer generated. Cause it's like on the bat, computer i guess is there yeah is yeah. batman's got that goofy grin or something as he's jumping into the batmobile and robin looks really intense um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just like terry like let's, i'm let's out of here this batman i'm ready <laughs> and yeah i agree the third one is the third one just looks like a almost like it was commissioned as a poster or something you know i wanted to ask you guys about uh two and three and obviously they're just all aparo doing the artwork and everything did um i mean when I was first reading all these, I didn't even realize Byrne was doing the artwork on it. And this was right at the time when I was just starting to get into the X-Men. And I really discovered John Byrne as an artist. This completely went by me, mm-hmm. even though I must have read this book a hundred times because it was just one of my favorite things back then. And, you know, the the all, the artwork for all three pretty much, you know, melded i didn't you know sit there and realize there was a different penciler on there at all and this was at a time when i was starting to become you know familiar with the different editors and such uh, different uh anchors and pencilers and whatnot excuse me i didn't notice a difference either i mean mm-hmm. obviously reading as a kid and then reading it now as an adult um but just re-flipping through the digest again yeah the the art the art all flows together. You know, this is not a, you get a third of the way through, right? And you're like, oh, what happened? And maybe yeah. that was on purpose, <laughs> knowing that Byrne can do all three and they wanted the art to be consistent. Maybe uh, Aparo was either told or decided, I need to to make his look a little more like my work so that when I do the other two, it's all going to, like you said, it's all going to flow. And the funny thing is that my favorite panels from all three books actually comes from the third one. And that's the first page of the third one where Batman's standing there as the Batmobile's wrecked in the background going, this means war. <laughs> and the very, very, you know, the uh, at the very end of the book when uh, he's standing basically over Gotham in an almost impossible shot, but, you know, because he was just at Wayne Manor. 
but <laughs> it's a, a just a gigantic huge shot of Batman standing over Gotham uh, with with the cape they're uh, doing silhouette and it was just you know it's like one of those incredibly powerful shots for me it's it's funny here that you know we're sitting there talking about a John Byrne book but for me in this miniseries the the some of the more memorable pieces or at least the ones that I really enjoyed the most as a kid came from that third issue when it was all Aparo. Well, and not to the spoilers for anybody who hasn't read this 40 year old book. Uh, <laughs> in the end, isn't it turned out to be Robin that's done all this to kind of. No, it's, no, no. It's, it's actually not? Batman himself. Yeah. Batman suffering a schizophrenia with paranoid delusions yeah. because okay. of this warehouse explosion that never is brought up anywhere else ever. And, and whatever the clue, and the the clue was laid at the first in the first issue. Yeah. Oh, you've been under a lot of strain, Batman. Said and Alfred. somehow, somehow, this this moment in the in in the Batcave where the, everything's falling apart, and Robin comes dressed as his father in the the older Batman costume, which I guess they must have recreated it because the other one was destroyed, and he saves him out of the Batcave, and then all of a sudden, yeah, you're better now. You're good. It's just Go a shock. It's kind of a secret window kind of thing that he's yeah. kind of become his own villain. But okay, so I thought Again, I thought it was Robin doing it too, because I thought, well, then Robin shredded the other costume that you know Batman says his most prized possession. Yeah. So, okay, no, that's, it, that's it, interesting. It, it, that, but see, this is this is the thing. I will tell you this. You know, it's like um, Len Wein wrote. You know, this the bare bones story behind all this is that Batman is suffering schizophrenia with paranoid delusions as a result of an explosion that happened to him in previous days. And so, so Batman is destroying everything, you know, of Batman's history, the relationship with the father, he destroys the costume and he he basically wrecks a Batmobile. He's trying to blow up the Batcave. He's trying to destroy everything. I can say I've had experience with someone that suffers schizophrenia with paranoid delusions. This is what they do to people. They don't do it to themselves necessarily, but they do do it to others, where they go back and they destroy all the things the other people hold dear. It is like a vindictiveness that's built in. You know, whatever jealousies and, and angers and everything that they hold towards a person, they act upon. And I've seen this like firsthand, and I'm just like, okay, I can I can actually understand this. I don't understand the temporary nature of Bruce's troubles here and he definitely needs to go see a doctor but then again do you want to send batman to see a shrink well you know it, it does get kind of deep and i'll just read a couple you know what what, what you're referencing here so yeah he sees the specter of uh of bruce wayne so batman is in his batman costume but he's got the specter of bruce wayne talking to him and he's uh bruce is yelling at batman saying because of you i've lost my friends the women I've loved, maybe my very sanity. That's why I intend to destroy you, Batman, so that Bruce Wayne can finally start living. And Batman says, maybe you're right. Maybe I have let the manhunter overwhelm the man. Maybe it would be easier to simply put down my arms and let these walls put an end to my misery. <laughs> That's kind of deep for, for kids. I mean, I, I remember reading this, you know, and then being like, no, Batman, don't give up. Yeah, these are the back cave walls coming in like yep. the trash compactor in Star Wars. Well, yeah, has and then it... Robin comes in, as you referenced, and then in, in his father's costume, right, and mm -hmm. snaps him out of it. No, that's the coward's way out, and you know it. 
and then it, it, it ends pretty quickly after that. Well, hasn't the, the and I think this is a theory that's kind of the current theory on Batman is that Batman is a true persona and Bruce Wayne is his artificial one, not the other way around. So that Batman's who he's really supposed to be and he puts on Bruce Wayne because he has to exist in the, you know, the real world as opposed to, you know, Clark Kent as that Clark Kent is really who he is and Superman is his. Well, that's the John Byrne version. The, the, this period here would have been where, you know, Superman is the real person and Clark Kent is the costume. We talked about that just a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Well, I mean, it, it depends if you and, and, if if you believe that Batman is who he was meant to be. That was his destiny. So that mm-hmm. that then, yeah, he and you know, and they kind of did that in the the first Nolan that he he had to put on this kind of almost Tony Stark like Playboy persona to, mm-hmm. I guess, so nobody would nobody would <clears throat> would consider that he might be Batman. So he had to yeah. kind of play up the the rich playboy. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how, depending on the decade, you know how much Bruce Wayne, you know, lives as Bruce Wayne, you know, ebbs and 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 flows. Right. You know, sometimes it's it's waxing, other times it's waning. Yeah. You know, where you don't you don't get much Bruce Wayne. Um, I think the the eighties had a fair amount of Bruce, you know, doing Bruce things. Uh, and then that kind of went away for a while and comes back. So I think it just depends on the writer, uh, you know, how much they want to use that. I've always thought that the balance that Bruce has to have kind of like Clark Kent, uh, with Superman, you know, is, is a great, you know, it's a, it's a great way to ground them you know, in terms of like, you can't just run around all day as Batman. You know, like you've you've got other stuff that you do too. And yeah, if you ran around all day as Batman, you'd have a tan line around your mouth. <laughs> That's why he runs around at nighttime. Exactly. Well, you can't right. be you can't be the head of a a, a billion dollar corporation right. and then spend eight hours running around at night unless you're just going to burn yourself out. See, and yeah, I always thought that that's what makes Batman's job that much harder because the Joker just gets to be the Joker all the time. You know, he could sit there and plot and scheme and work on stuff all day long, whereas Bruce can't. Um, and again, depending on the writer, you know, it's almost like some of them have him like going into the office like nine to five, yeah. you know, and, and running the company. And then he gets a break and then he's out there as Batman, he, you know, all over again the next day. Well, it's probably like in the Nolan films, he's got Lucius Fox, I guess, running. The, he's got somebody running the company. And he just kind of pops in once in a while and he needs a new that toy. Is... What, what, how they tried to, to handle most of that in that in this period of the Batman where Lucius, you know, was doing so much. and But still, they, they tried to keep him involved in everything. It would have been inhuman to to keep up the lifestyle that he had. But, right. yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that for so many fans of Batman and, you know, Byrne fans also, this is the Batman that we know. This is the Batman history that we still hold on to with both fists and say, this is the Batman that I know. I love Batman year one. I think that's, you know, it's great, but I don't like it. I, I, I kind of feel like it's on its own. It's its own little pocket universe, so to speak, um, where you could also put Dark Knight Returns at the very end of it. It doesn't, you know, have a place in my Batman history because 
I like this one better. As as M. Middleton would say, this is what the Batman in my head can. So I the could, bad history. Well, how long did this did this get totally wiped out when Crisis came around? Pretty much, yeah. Well, not Crisis so much um, because they like like Superman. They kind of staggered it out because it started rebooting after Dark Knight Returns came out, and then they put Batman Year One out, and that you know was roughly around the same time as Man of Steel, and and again, it wasn't it wasn't like a, a, a total reboot. It was a more of a, a soft reboot or slight retcon of, of different things, you know. Because before Alfred, uh, in in the second issue, I think or third issue of this miniseries, we find out Alfred didn't you know, wasn't always with the Waynes. He only mm-hmm. came to him later when his father was on his deathbed, and you know made Alfred swear to take up the family you know business, so to speak. And Alfred just shows up at Wayne Manor and says, yeah, I'm, your, you I'm know, your butler. I'm yeah. your butler. Like it or not. You know, whereas, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the Frank Miller version, you know, Alfred was there from the very beginning. Alfred was, you know, a gift to Bruce from his father, you know, with, with well, combat medicine, you know, <laughs> and all that. You're 12 years old. Here's your butler. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, a lot of the films, they, they, they have it that Alfred kind of helped raise Bruce, yeah. you know, after his parents well, died, he was there for him always. When he Uncle, was uh, SAS, right? Yeah. Was and un- Uncle Philip was never mentioned, you know, it, it, as I recall from any of the, the stuff after, you know, Batman Year One. Yeah, I wouldn't know if Batman, Batman had Year an two, uncle. Batman Year Three, you know, they, you know, didn't bring him up until later when they decided to go ahead and bring in Catherine Kane and Kathy, you know, the one that would become Batwoman. And Kathy Kane. So now she, of course, uh, even the TV series on Batwoman, Uncle Philip is again, you know, a a character that's in there. Well, how close does I don't watch Gotham? How close does Gotham follow any of this? No, Gotham was because trash. And and, and, well, the thing is, they harsh word, but they 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 tried to distance (laughs) themselves from the Batman history. They killed Sarah Essen in the first season. And I mean, she was not at all like the Sarah Essen that we'd written read in the the other Batman books later. So it, you know, you knew that anything could happen in that, and the things that they did were just. At first, it was interesting, and then they kept having to do things, and it just got nuttier and nuttier. Yeah. And it was stuck being more like the well, I, the sixties. And, th- and Batman things series. just got it's so bizarre, you know. Where it's, you know, you got the Riddler, who's part, of, you know, part of the uh, police department. But it's like, well, wait a minute. Wouldn't that make him like fifty by the time Bruce gets old enough to battle him as Batman? Well, all of them would have been generally yeah. old. And, <laughs> and what they did with villains, yeah. And what they did with the Joker, with their version of the Joker, was just—it was nuts. Yeah, like, the series um, was nuts. Well, I can yeah. imagine um, when a crazed teenager like. <laughs> and when... then Gordon, Gordon was like a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was. <laughs> Gordon was the best part of the show, along with Leslie Tompkins. Well, God, Marina Bachran is just, you know, mm-hmm. awesome in whatever she does. Well, it wasn't, I thought, uh, again, I haven't watched it, but I thought, uh, is it Donald Loeb? Didn't he play Bullet? Yeah. When he's supposed he to be pretty Harvey good at Bullock. it? He and he was good, too. I mean, he was consistent. Yep. And everybody else was just, you know, to move the plot along, they, they made certain people just take incredibly ridiculous leaps. Yeah, now, there the were pen- some... The penguin. The, yeah, the penguin and the penguin's family, all that actually had some very interesting uh, bits and pieces. The the dinner with the family, oh, that was great. But 
you know, it went too silly. It went too far. Uh, they did introduce a really good character towards the end in, in the Mad Hatter. I like that. But we had a hard time keeping up with the show just because it kept taking too many bizarre leaps, especially with Gordon himself. Well, I can imagine was- when, when Burton's film came out with... And again, I wasn't invested in Batman, so the, the fact that they made the Joker the person that killed Wayne's parents to really connect that. That would be like if I was watching a Spider-Man film and Doc Ock's the one that killed Uncle Ben. And I can imagine the most enraged, <laughs> enraged Batman fans be like, no, the Joker well, can't well, kill. <laughs> you do realize they made the Sandman. Well. The killer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's why I was laughing. Like, yeah. wait yeah. a minute. did do that. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey, hey guys, so uh, one of the things was is we had the uh, audio cassette tape version. Did you all listen to that or bits and pieces I, of it? I did. I started to of the first book, and I only got so far. I mean, the thing is is that you have your head voice, in your head voices that you hear of Bruce, of Alfred, of Gordon, and all those. And when you start listening to something like this, and those voices are so off. Different. <laughs> it, it it really it, it hurts the the enjoyment of it. So, well, it's, I mean, it's hard if you're not a kid. It, yeah, go, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying it's hard not to hear or think of Kevin Conroy if I'm hearing just Batman's voice and not hearing that because he's so tied to it. Yeah, and now you can actually get Kevin Conroy as Batman as your uh, directions in ways. The you know for if you want to get directions, it's kind of like mm-hmm. um, it's like Google or. Uh, Google Maps or, yeah. or, or Garmin, yeah. yeah, and so that you got Batman until you turn left here. <laughs> why did you say that name? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. Why, why did they get Affleck to do it? It's been great. Take a ride. <laughs> but if you're a kid, you know, it, it, back in the, the '80s, and you're sitting there and you're listening to this over and over and over as you're reading the book, this is this becomes your Batman voice or your you know the yeah. voice for the other characters. And, you know, so it's just I've already got a voice in my head and it's not even Kevin Conroy. It's just the voice that's in my head that I hear when Batman talks. You need to clip that, Tim, and <laughs> just that part where he talks about voice in his head and we can use that out of context. Or whatever. <laughs> oh, I think Brian's got lots of voices in his head. Uh, <laughs> see, like, of course, I, I was um, it was in my 20s when that came out, so I didn't sit there and listen to it. But it listening to it again uh, nowadays it just reminded me of when i was a kid and we used to go camping and we'd sit in the camper at night and um and my dad um who was born in the 20s <clears throat> um he would uh, the there was an old am radio station where i gr- grew up that would at late at night or uh, in the evenings it would play the old radio dramas and old radio mysteries and that stuff and this totally brought me back to sitting in a camper uh, with my family and my dad tuning in that, those old radio mysteries or whatever and just listening to radio. And I, I, I have serious radio and there's a channel called Radio Classics and this guy plays all radio programs from the, the 30s, 40s and 50s. And it's really cool to sit there and just listen to that. So this kind of brought me back to that. It was fun in that way uh um tim mentioned it before we started that yeah yeah the sound effects were very loud <laughs> that dripping in the back <laughs> dripping cave, in so the back cave drove me crazy <laughs> <laughs> it was just like put a washer in that faucet because man it's like it's annoying but uh it still was fun and yeah no uh brian to your point 
Um, Adam West kept trying to put that guy down <laughs> with the voice of Batman for me. <laughs> Old chum. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there looking at the... Uh, David, you sent us the pa- pages from the uh, the Pocketbook Digest or whatever. And I love the coloring work that you did on the... Uh, the first couple pages of Batman in the circle there with the, the light going around him. And actually your coloring is not bad there. Maybe you should send this to me, Dave, and I can use those for the cover art. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the budding artists. Of <laughs> Obviously that was a uh, you know, color pencil later. And then you saw some of my, my early work more abstract. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you wear that symbol? Guys, I had fun with this one. Again, you know, this is one of those things that uh, this is a book that's been in my life because I, I I pull it out and read it uh, every few years. And, uh, you know, again, you know, you could actually go through the history of the Batman in both Batman comics and detective comics. And you can find virtually all the stories and all the incidents that are in here uh, in the original. But none of them are quite as beautiful as the way that they looked in this um in this miniseries. Now the, the digest that you've got there where it's, it's for lack of better words, kind of chopped up some, yeah. uh, it, it, it definitely gives you a different perspective on the artwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'd like to know what, what some of the readers thought, you know, if they, if this is how they originally read it or, or what. I have to imagine a lot of people were like me, you know, reading it in this digest as a kid, I just realized uh, this is a f- the first edition, so I'm even more pleased with myself that I colored in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but your yeah, grandma yeah, gave it to you. You're never selling that anyway. No, no. And you know, it's like I said. I mean, there's <laughs> so many dog-eared pages. You know, p- uh, parts that I liked as a kid. You know, and, and you know uh, that was the great thing about this. You know, you could put it in your back pocket. And hop on your super cool BMX bike and go over to your friend's house, um, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it is a different experience, you know, reading this. So I, I reread my Batman brand serial edition, and then I reread the first uh, issue in the digest, and it, it is different. The pacing is a little different, mm-hmm. and you know they they changed, you know, uh, certain panels as we talked about, but. Uh, you know, th- this to me is is the definitive version because that's the one I grew up with. Is the black and white, um, you know, uh, digest. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I think this is a great pick, John. I, I again, that's always that's always fun to find something I haven't read yet. So, because you don't have any kind of preconceived ideas about it, you get to kind of come in fresh and more refreshing. So, uh, I applaud you for a, a wonderful pick. Thanks. It's it's a fun issue, and like I said, it, it was really exciting to me as a well, well, 15-year-old uh, having this come out and getting these stories strung together. It was really cool. I enjoyed it, too. All right. Do we have anything else? Uh, do we have any final thoughts on uh, The Untold Legend of the Batman? No. Cool. Go out and read it. Exactly, yeah. And if you read, if you, you know, as, uh, as Brian said, you know, if you if you read this, you know, uh, send send us feedback, right? Come, come over on Facebook to the Third Degree Burn group and tell us how how did you read this? Did you read it as a digest? Did you read it when it came out? Like like uh, John getting it off the newsstand. He's probably the only one of <laughs> the uh, the four of us here that actually read it in its full size. You know, <laughs> or how did, how did you hear it? You know, the, or the 
the MPI, you know, audio recording. Yeah. You know, do you have fond memories of, you know, flipping through your comic book and having that playing in your bedroom and having someone read the story? I mean, I do, but, and I think I shared in, in our chat, but for me in the 80s, it was He-Man. And, you know, they sold, like, you know, we've talked about the Power Records, uh, other comics. That was my thing when I was a kid. My, my mom would buy me, you know, the He-Man record book. And it would you'd follow along, you know, you get the tone, and you turn the page. So I'm kind of curious, you know, like like uh, others have said, you know, how how did you come to this book? Were you like Tim and you had never read it, and because we covered it, maybe you went out and read it for the first time too, or so I'm always yeah, surprised. Yeah, I'm interested in how many if people this was their introduction. They they picked this up and thought, oh, I like, and then that that started their either their love for batman or this is their their kind of their their beginning so that because this would be like i said this is a great jumping on point yeah and i wonder you know we always talk about you know kids not reading as much as they used to and and part of that falls on you know us as as parents and part of it is just there's so many things competing for their attention i wonder if dc were to you know make another agreement with a uh you know, company like a tour who makes these still makes the smaller digest book because clearly they, they don't care to work with diamond anymore. Um, okay, could they put these back on the shelf, you know, or put them at, you know, your quick trips or super Americas or, you know, or sit goes, you know, Walmarts and put it in there with the candy, you know, for three bucks and would they still sell to kids like, you know, they used to. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. You, you have to get them in that that point of sale impulse by section and right. that is such a you know such so hard to get something in there now um, unless they could work a deal with the Archie group because they've got permanent placement uh, there at the checkouts and that's why Archie still enjoys decent sales of their digests yeah and even even those I mean but they're like what seven eight bucks yeah you know. I just look at this and it's like, you know, it's black and white, you know, no color, not the, <laughs> you know, best paper stock. Yeah. And a, you know, flimsy cover, you know, I mean, this is, I can't imagine even today that it would cost that much to print a book like this and put it out there and easily make a, a good profit. But I don't know, I'm not in distribution and, and you're, you're probably right, Brian. It's, you know, where would it go? How many units could they move? You know, would would a four dollar pocketbook be worth it for Walmart to put in place of a candy bar? Well, you think this this stuff would come out with like the new Batman movies coming out? They would kind of flood the market with this stuff. Yeah, uh, just as tie-ins. So, I mean, I yeah, don't know. They don't, have, they don't. They don't have to pay anything for it other than the publishing costs. Yeah, just and, reprint and, it. And, and they've been doing a lot of the the reprints of the older successful books and such. You know, they. The, the facsimile editions or whatever you want to call those. Now, I don't know if that's just a Marvel thing or is DC doing that as well? DC's but, been and, doing it as well. Yeah, and, and, and but the thing is getting into the, the big, you know, block stores like, you know, Walmart and Target and, and whatnot, you, you almost have to, to fight with them and they fight back in a big way, especially Walmart. They're vicious in, right. in their negotiations and you yeah, kind of have to, you know, but it, if they could create an event where they got put at the forefront and they could show them what their sales would be, then Walmart would probably, you know, reconsider that. But tabloids, Archie, 
Um, you don't even see crossword books uh, up there at the checkout anymore. Um, Sudoku stuff or the whatever. Yeah, the, it's all been it's all is. been moved to the magazine or the niche area. They well, don't I, have those up front anymore. I think what this would work is it, granted it have to be in a, a comic store, but and I don't think DC did this, but you know Marvel would do their dollar books that were reprints of just like key issues. Was it? It wasn't the Nuff said issue. It was the. Um, Stan presents, or it was just they would do dollar true, true believers. True believers, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah love those. Do that. <laughs> make these dollar books, so you could pick up all three of them for three bucks, and that would. I mean, granted, it'd have to be in a comic store or a newsstand, possibly, but at least that would get it out, and it wouldn't be that expensive if, if Marvel's doing. It. I mean, sometimes the coloring on them and the reprints aren't that great, but it gets it out there at least exposed. Yeah, yeah, I love the facsimile and the true believer stuff. I, I recently picked up the facsimile of Secret Origins 17, the origin of the Huntress. Oh, man. Oh, it's wow. so nice to yeah, have that. Was, that. that was pretty a pretty recent release from DC, too, because that's a, that's a pricey yeah. book. The, yeah, no. The, the original. Fact, <laughs> yeah, the original is. And, uh, I they're have, good placeholders. I, I think I have the original, and um, I still picked up this one because uh, it's just so cool to... You know what? I don't think. No, I don't have the original. I have the original story in the Huntress Dark, um, uh, Huntress trade paperback. Um, but I, but I wanted to get the entire book because now I have all the ads, the house ads, the other right. stories and stuff like that. So it was really cool, and I think it was like three ninety nine or something. Yeah. It was worth it to me. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> when I went to my local shop, and I, because. Uh, <clears throat> It was supposed to come out in May, and then, of course, they shut down all of the shipping of books. And so it waited and waited and waited. And finally, when they started releasing books again, I called my sh my shop. I'm like, hey, um, are you guys – do you guys have this? Save it for me. And they're like, no, man, we just sold out. I'm like, ah. So I started looking online to see where I could buy it. You know, and shipping was as much as the book itself. <clears throat> I'm like, well, it'll be worth it, I guess. And then I reached out to them again. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to put it on order. And we'll see if we get it. And I'm like, okay. So I waited. And sure enough, it came in. And when I went up there, then I went and found a whole bunch of other the dollar True Believers books and stuff. Like, and I'm like, yeah, I'll buy this. I'll buy this. That was a big bone of contention with the management at DC because Marvel's been doing the True Believer reprints for quite a while, which uh -huh. were the, the dollar cheapies. Um and then the facsimile editions, and DC didn't want to do it because there was this big stance of, we don't want old material, you know, outselling or taking away bandwidth from the new material. <laughs> this is stupid. This is stupid. <clears throat> well, you can t you can tell once things were on the ropes for the Dio, we got so this is just starting in last year. We got the Batman facsimile editions for 181, which of course is. The first Poison Ivy. You got 232, uh, which is the first Ra's al Ghul. 251, which is the iconic Neil Adams Joker holding the oversized card with Batman on it. And then 321, uh, you got the Brave and the Bold facsimile editions. You know, the first Justice League of America. Oh, what else we got coming? There's a there's a bunch of them. Um, wow. It's like. Let's don't put something out that might make people want to read the stuff that's currently being put out. You know, let's don't right. let's don't promote ourselves. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come well, on. Like, I I picked up this one. This one came out at the beginning of the year. Uh, the Detective Comics three fifty nine, the first Batgirl, and I put that in my 
you know, collection because I, I know I'm never going to afford the, you know, <laughs> first printing of Detective Comics 359, and then uh, uh, 475. I have the uh, your original one, uh, but this is a uh, 475 was when the the Jokerized fish, you know, the iconic fish with the Joker's face on them. So they're they're coming, but yeah, they're they're great. You know, because like if you had the original Huntress issue, you probably wouldn't want to read it. You know, for, for risk, you know, fear of damaging it. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas you you know you can read a fast simile a million times and not feel bad about it. Well, I thought they were great for. I would pick them up uh, the dollar ones because my boss's kid was kind of into comics in the nine or ten, and so if I some if I was anywhere I found like cheap quarter bin stuff, I would just pick up you know, kind of kid-friendly stuff I thought he might like, and I'd pick up those dollar ones and just say, hey, here's a stack of books, give, you know, because it cost me, you know, 10 bucks. Here, just give them to him, because, you know, it gives him something cheap to look at. It's not really, you know, it's not worth anything, so if he tears them up, it's a fine, but I thought it was a way to kind of, you know, introduce a new generation to something that might spawn them to go on and, you know, continue reading. Agreed. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah. Well, should we wrap this one up? I think we can wrap it up, yeah, because yeah, I'm... Yep. Lunchtime for me. Um, uh, we don't know what we're going to cover next. I don't know. I think it's uh, I think it's your turn, David. You can pick a book. So uh, you, have to, you have to pick something go. something to top this because just John really pulled yep. one out Thanks of the hat lot, here. John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You'll pick out something great. There's a lot of great material. So Brian, you want to take us out? Oh my gosh. Well, hey, we uh, like we said earlier, we want your feedback. We need your feedback. Uh, we we got to get something because our email box is get is showing cobwebs. So please write us at gotta get burned at gmail.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you know, try to get on there and give us a five star review. If you do that, it brings more uh, you know brings others to us, so more people can start listening to our show. It gives us more visibility. Otherwise, you can leave us a note, of course, on our our uh, Facebook page. Uh, in response to this uh, episode, really would like to hear from you what you thought of this book that we covered. Maybe if you've got a little history, you could tell us about it. We'll read it on air if you like. Uh, so please, you know, uh, respond back to that or in any of the groups that we go ahead and post the issue. Now, uh, we'll be back probably next week. I'd like to be back next week. I hope you guys do too. Uh, and we'll see what David uh, picks out for us. So for Third Degree Burn, we're going to say goodbye to Tim Elliott. Goodbye. David Thompson, uh, John Hyatt, and our uh, friend, Mr. Kurt Greenfield, who took off on us. Say goodnight, guys. Goodnight. 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 Goodnight, John boy. Take care. Have fun. Why Adios. That name? <laughs> Martha. <laughs> to the bat for right. And so, after all those endless years, I confronted Joe Chill. Joe, I want to tell you a story without an ending, but maybe you can supply one. It began several years ago, when Thomas Wayne, his wife, and young son Bruce were stopped by a bandit. Did you say Wayne? The bandit killed Thomas Wayne and his wife, then frightened, ran away, but not before young Bruce memorized his features. Bruce Wayne can still identify that killer, Chill. It was you. You're, you're bluffing, Batman. How do you know what really happened? I know because I am the son of the people you murdered, Chill. I know because I am Bruce Wayne. No, 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 no.
Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gotta get burned at gmail.com that's g-o-t-t-a g-e-t-b-y-r-n-e-d at gmail.com drop us a line and tell us how we're doing till next time this has been third degree burn some men aren't looking for anything logical like money they can't be bought bullied reasoned or negotiated with some men just want to watch the world burn